0: The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. It is a slippery slope. And the minute you open the door to the demonic world, it is very difficult to close it. Next on Life Today, join Sheila Walsh and Dr. Jeremiah Johnston as they spend Wednesdays in the Word, providing lasting truth for unanswered questions.
1: I want to know what God's will is for my life. I don't need to read a horoscope. I need to read the Word of God. I need to pray. I need to allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to me and show me what His will is. I don't need, you know, any kind of charms or anything else to tell me that. Yeah.
2: Hello, welcome to Wednesdays in the Word, I'm Sheila Walsh. And you know, often I'll sit here and I'll tell you of the different ministries that we're involved with and and I'll ask you to help and you're amazing. The way you respond is amazing. But I just wanted to remind you that we're here for you too. You know, if you're going through a hard time, if you feel alone, if you feel isolated and cut off, you know, you can call us here. We have an amazing team of prayer warriors who will agree with you and stand with you and remind you of who you are. And one of the things I'm really excited about um, is my guest today, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson, who's written this book called Unanswered, Lasting Truth, for trending questions. So I just want to welcome you back. It's so, I'm so glad you were able to come and do another show. Thank you, Sheila. It's an honor to be back. Now, the six sections in your book. And when I looked at it, I was like, there's no way we're ever going to get through this. So we've chosen a couple. And what we're going to look at first here is body of proof. Mm-hmm. What does it mean for us to live a resurrection-centric life? life well the
1: resurrection gives life to every aspect of our Christian life when you think about it when you read the New Testament there are over 300 passages in the New Testament that allude to the resurrection every sermon in the book of Acts the central point the resurrection of Jesus the most the greatest promise that we're given more than two dozen times is John 14 19 when Jesus said because you live Because I live, you will live also. Mm -hmm. More than two dozen times we're promised that our eventual resurrection and Jesus are linked. Yet here's the issue. Most of us cannot give an articulate, informed, intelligent reason why we believe Jesus physically, bodily came back from the dead. Now I had the privilege to study in Oxford to write an over 90,000 word thesis. And David Hume, the atheist said, wise men choose probabilities. And I wanna encourage our audience with this the most important the, the greatest probability of what happened that first easter weekend was that jesus physically bodily rose from the dead christianity is unique unlike any other religion in the world christianity actually interacts with history hmm. it's based on an event and if this event happened it's a game-changer yeah
2: I want you to set the scene culturally for us Mm because honestly I was surprised when I read what it was like during those Mm -hmm. times what the life expectancy was Mm -hmm. what happened to dead bodies talk Mm -hmm. to that that was fascinating
1: well thank you for saying that Sheila especially coming from you you're a voracious reader so (laughs) thank you for that we have to read the New Testament with first-century eyes it's not hard to do heresy It's not hard to speak out of context. All we need is Jesus in no context or the Bible in no context. So it's important that we understand Judaism. Jesus, after all, was a Jew. He came to earth historically at a certain time. Paul says in the fullness of time he came. Well, he came at a time of immense suffering and pain. It's fascinating to me, 30 times in the Gospels, we hear that large crowds traveled with Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, why? He he was just another rabbi, wasn't he? Well, not really. When you consider that life expectancy in the first century world of Jesus... 20 years of age. We we read our modern understanding, you know, we're living longer than ever. According to the CDC, Americans live to age 79, Canadians into their 80s. We're actually living 11 years longer now than people did in the 70s. And so we don't understand how potent, how resonant Jesus' ministry was. So he didn't just Preach the kingdom of God. He actually authorized his disciples, who he sent out as apostles, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, to do miracles, and necros agairo in Greek, stand up to raise the dead. And he didn't just proclaim it, he actually predicted it. We see that in Mark 8:31, Mark 9:31, Mark 10, 33 and 34. He predicted his violent death and resurrection. And then he went a step further. He actually did resurrection himself. When we read about Jairus' daughter, when we read about the widow of Nain's son, and this is where your question is so excellent, because when we don't understand Judaism, when Jesus walks up and touches the buyer in the funeral processional, he is violating Jewish burial traditions, Jewish laws, he was unclean, Jesus transcended all of that religiosity and he said, stand up and the boy literally sat up. Can you see it in your mind? And then the most probably stupendous miracle of all next to Jesus own resurrection, of course, you know, Lazarus, he's dead four days. In the Jewish context, he could not have been more dead. In Jewish burial traditions, they believe the spirit of the dead hovered over the body for three days. And then after three days, even the face changed and the spirit left. And so when people see that Lazarus has been dead four days and Jesus says, come forth, people are shocked. And is it any wonder they are? And so I think it's a great question. And we see, you know, 25 percent of the Roman Empire sick, dying or in need of immediate medical attention on
2: any given day. It's fascinating, you talk about the fact that if you're gonna start a movement, the least likely thing to build a movement on at that point is somebody who uh, was dead and is alive, that that's just not, I mean, it's like, there's so many things against, mm-hmm. and the way that the men who were afraid were transformed into mm-hmm. these bold speakers. But for people watching in, mm-hmm. you know, a mother who lives in, I don't know, mm-hmm. somewhere in Iowa, how does a resurrection-centric faith impact her life today.
1: Absolutely. Well Romans 8 says, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead indwells us only because of the resurrection Jesus or Paul could say in the Colossians Jesus Christ in you the hope of glory it gives us a hope and energy that allows us to transcend all of life's momentary difficulties and I think until we understand that we will really just be on the sideline of our faith we get really motivated when we realize we're not just living for today we're living for tomorrow as well and eternity because of the resurrection and i think it's so important in a time of hyper skepticism we're living in a post christian culture christians have to believe every follower of jesus not just delta force christians like sheila walsh but all of us we have to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us Mm -hmm. jude 3 says that we are to contend for the faith epigenes in greek it means Continue to attack we have too many Christians on the retreat and guess what when you weigh the evidence It's amazing when we see that the evidence the scales of truth tip in our favor mm-hmm. by golly Jesus did physically Bodily raise from the dead
2: and I love the way that it speaks to our culture right now that resurrection centric faith impacts how we view the handicapped that's right how we view um, a child who lives for five days. Mm -hmm. I mean, in those days, they had no respect Mm -hmm. for, I mean, if you were a dead body, you were just thrown out. Mm -hmm. But believing in the resurrection impacts how we view every other human soul.
1: You're absolutely right. In Rome, body dumping was a huge problem. I mean, 1,500 bodies a year were just left. You know, you would free your slave the day before your slave died. And literally, people would just sidestep dead bodies. What stopped this evil practice in others? Well, a couple of things. Christians came along believing that everyone is made in the image of God. They have inherent value a teacher our rabbi jesus said let the little children come to me what pushes back infanticide what pushes back racism that really is introduced from the classical authors what is it it's christianity and it is this resurrection centric christianity that we care about the body, we're gonna honor it in birth all the way into death and burial. Mm. And it's amazing, it's fascinating actually. we see nearly a million Christians buried together in the city of Rome in the first, really before the Edict of Toleration in AD 3 of 13. Yeah,
2: you talk about even the word for cemetery, that yeah. was fascinating, yeah. well, tell us the roots for that.
1: Well it's interesting, <laughs> you know, again, we don't know these things, but when you look at the Greek word koimaterion which means cemetery, we drive by cemeteries, we'll drive by cemeteries on the way home to tonight. And we don't realize that that is a Christian-centric term. There were other words in Latin that were used for burial, mausoleum, memori- memoriam. We see a sepulcher. Those were the three main words, but the Christians actually wanted to be buried together because after all, it was just a temporary departure. Mm-hmm. And so they say, we're going to actually come up with a new term, coimaterion, which means dormitories, sleeping rooms, wow. because we will again rise with our Savior. Isn't that fascinating? And so every time you see a cemetery, that has the stamp of resurrection.
2: How does a belief in the resurrection impact somebody who's struggling right now? You know, like, where are you, God? I'm I'm really struggling. How does a profound understanding and placing the resurrection at the center of who we are speak to that?
1: Sheila, we've seen this as we meet people when we speak, we hear people who have gone through profound tragedies. I was recently speaking in Santa Cruz and a sweet couple walked up to me and they had just driven home from a Luis Palau beach fest. Mm -hmm. They were hit by a drunken driver. Their two daughters, age 14, age 16, were instantly killed. Mm -hmm. The mom barely survived. The woman, not only drunk, also high. How do you survive something like that? not only did they survive, this happened just a few weeks after 9-11, mm-hmm. they said, because of the resurrection, we found the woman's first name, Lisa, after she served her prison sentence, we wrote the parole officer. We asked the parole officer, can we come see Lisa when she's released? They said, we've never had a request like this. After all, she killed your two, your only children. They said, we would like to forgive her. Wow. They met her, they embraced her, and I asked Dan and Lynn, I said, how are you able to do that? I'm a father of five, mm-hmm. Sheila. How did you even, he said, the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. It promises that it is just a temporary goodbye. And Jesus, because he's forgiven us, we can forgive Lisa for even something this, this much of a tragedy. And I think that that is emblematic of what I talk about in the book is that it will give you faith to transcend the most difficult circumstance, resurrection-centric life.
2: Why do you think there's so few sermons on the resurrection? I mean, other than Easter Sunday and maybe at a funeral, you very rarely hear about the resurrection from the pulpit.
1: You know, it's really sad. I think that, unfortunately, we're living in times where I'm very concerned for what passes for a sermon today, and that's why I so appreciate your Bible teaching. We have to preach the entire counsel of God's Word, and when we see how prevalent the resurrection was it was always on the tip of every tongue you can't read if you tried to pull out the resurrection passages in really all 27 books it would not be coherent you would not be able to truly understand this is how unique it was truly every Sunday was a resurrection Sunday actually that's why the church began worshiping on Sunday not an off day in the first century they said that's the day our Lord rose from the day the Lord's Day, Sunday. We're going to celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, and so I think we need to get past just the formality of Easter. And when we unlock that, we go to new heights in our spiritual life. Yeah.
2: I'm going to touch on one more area. Um, and honestly, when I first read this, I thought, "Wow, that's kind of weird." <laughs> Paranormalcy. And you talk about the fact that we live in a culture that is fascinated with the paranormal. Why do you think that's so?
1: Well, when you think about the fact that the paranormal has become the new normal. And I'm talking about, when I say paranormal, that's a trendy term, I'm talking about the spirit world, the demonic. 71% of Americans claim to have personally had a paranormal experience. Nearly 40% of Americans believe in ghosts. And unfortunately, when we don't have a biblical centrism, we forget that Jesus, when it comes to exorcism, this was no sidebar issue. When Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, two things happened, there were miracles and there were exorcism. And what's amazing is Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me, I give it to you. And so unfortunately, you know, some people get freaked out when we talk about paranormal and we don't understand the authority that we have, Mm -hmm. but then we can, there's such allure to it. I buried as a pastor, I officiated the funeral of my next door neighbor's 14 year old son. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget when this sweet couple met with me. I mean, living to our left, Jeremiah, we have to talk to our son again. Would it be okay if we saw a psychic? So, you know, we, we ridicule people, but then we and realize they're grieving.
2: The oh. Yeah.
1: And I was able to open the word of God. Second Corinthians five, eight absent with the body. Your son is present with the Lord right now. And yet we need to understand again, Jewish burial traditions. We need to understand what G- Jesus, the great exorcist that he was. And then we actually see the authority that we have in Christ.
2: You, you said a statement in your book that I thought was kind of funny but true. You say that we have the most educated yet the dumbest church.
1: <laughs> That's an exact. <laughs> I quote. resemble that remark. Yes.
2: <laughs> but it's um, it's it's true. We have access to so much, you know, that we have so much learning and understanding. But Why do you say that in some ways? we're the least educated
1: well it's an exciting time to be a christian sheila Seventy thousand people a day are coming to faith in jesus christ i mean the the church the the church is growing rapidly and expanding rapidly unfortunately that is happening in non-western countries the church is regressing in the west and it is regressing because unfortunately we don't have a thinking faith the church is seen as irrelevant passe you know, not not into what I'm dealing with in my life today. It's just so irrelevant. And unfortunately, we've lost the spirit of the early church fathers, if you if you will, who simply they outthought everybody around them. They they were the thinkers. They were the thought leaders of the day. And again, after all, you, we talked about apologetics in our last program. All apologetics is, and that doesn't mean we're apologizing for the faith, by the way. It means we're giving a hope, an apology, a reason for our faith. Apologetics, the point of it, is to make sure our faith connects up well with the questions our culture is asking today in the second century they questioned they thought Christians were atheists they thought Christians were cannibals atheists because they didn't worship the Roman Emperor cannibals because they didn't understand the communion the Lord's Supper well, we have different questions today, like what we've been discussing in these programs. And as Christians, it is up to every single one of us to be able to give an answer for the hope that was in, that is in us. When we do that, that's when things get really exciting.
2: You know, it's interesting. You talk about the fact that, um, we used to talk about Satanism, mm-hmm. but that word has been kind of pushed to the background now and paranormal just sounds, it's a lot, it's a lot prettier. Yeah. Um, what would you say to somebody who said, well, I'm not really involved in the spirit world. I just read my horoscopes. You know, I just dabble with a few things. And I,
1: that's a great point because there is such an allure to the paranormal world but here's what I would say and and not just research but an experience and speaking as you've met so many different people it is a slippery slope, and the minute you open the door to the demonic world, it is very difficult to close it. And so we should get rid of all the demonic para- paraphernalia in our house, we should not entertain that. I wanna know what God's will is for my life. I don't need to read a horoscope, I need to read the word of God, I need to pray, I need to allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to me and show me what his will is. I don't need you know, any kind of charms or anything else to tell me that. Yeah. Um, God has promised to reveal that to us. James 1, 7, if we lack wisdom, let us ask of God and he'll give it to us.
2: So what would you say to somebody um, watching this program and maybe they're a little shocked, they're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize this was a big deal. What do, what do I do? Well, the first thing that I would
1: say is first, we need to realize the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. The New Testament addresses the issue of the paranormal again and again and again. Satan has no power over you if you were a follower of Jesus Christ. It's very important that we remember that. I mean, when you realize that the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19, it's that cryptic passage where the demon actually says to the Jewish exorcist, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? They went in there and they tried to do it in their own power. And a lot of us, we try to attack the demonic or we try to combat it rather in our own power. What did Jesus do? Jesus exercises a demon. He doesn't need any phylacteries or interesting uniforms. It's fascinating in Acts 19 it says the Jewish exorcists, in Greek it was two of them even though there were seven sons, they ran out naked. That's we read that and we think that's a little odd. Well These were, and Jewish exorcism was a big business in the first century, almost like a Dallas cowboy or Houston Texans. You would wear uniforms, helmets. You would wear all these phylacteries, things that would ward off evil spirits. You would have a magic book. You would cast out demons in the name of Solomon. Jesus comes on the scene and he casts out a demon effortlessly. Hmm. And he says that same, that same authority has been given to you. He's not afraid. Yeah. And we don't need to be either.
2: I love what it says in 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the thing that you mention in your writings that is so true is that we think of the the enemy is going to show up as some ugly kind of, but forget that he's called an angel of light. That's right. Well, there's so much in your book. And not just that. um, In your Bible study and Christian thinkers, and we're going to give our viewers an opportunity to to access all of this stuff because you've done so much work and we're so so grateful and as we're starting to move a little bit I know it's a little early a little bit toward um, the season when we remember the birth of Christ one of the things that my husband Barry and my son Christian and I do is every year we ask the Lord you know what can we do this Christmas um, that would be reaching out as opposed to gathering in. You know, who can we invite into our home? Who's on their own this Christmas? But I have the privilege of, with life, of traveling to some of our projects and traveling to Africa and traveling to the Dominican Republic or to Southeast Asia and seeing some very real present needs. And I'm thinking, when their needs are so, so easily met, why don't you and I Hmm. meet them? Would you watch this? We're approaching the time of the year when Life Outreach does it's Christmas Shoes and Smiles campaign. The smiles are for corrective surgery, but what we're doing today is we're giving these young boys and young girls shoes for the very first time. You can actually see the importance of what we're doing because look at this little girl, Veronica. She's got these sores on her feet already. She's obviously never owned a pair of shoes. She's been walking around bare feet.
0: Maybe they just tough it out and they play, but we found out right here in this area that hookworms get in the skin get in the bloodstream, ultimately into the intestines, and cause very serious disease, and sometimes death. And we can turn it around by just simply giving them shoes.
2: Something as simple as a pair of shoes can really change a child's life. This is a happy place today. (laughs) Look at this face. We want to give her a gift for Christmas. So thank you so much. On behalf of her family, those who love her, <laughs> I think you put the biggest smile on her face that we've seen all day. So thank you. Thank you for the gift of shoes. Thank you for the gift of life. You go run around. <laughs> I loved that trip. I loved every moment of being able to see the joy that a simple gift of a pair of shoes put onto the face of a child. And it's not just shoes so that they don't cut themselves, it's shoes so that, um, as James talked about, so that hookworm doesn't get into their system and it depletes them of protein, impacts their brain. It, it really is, it makes a difference between life and death for some of these children. And our goal has been 150,000 pairs of shoes. Now, if that was just one church trying to do it, it'd be like, wow, that's a lot. But it's not, it's us, one body. And together we can do that. And it's really, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager or whether you've retired, no matter what your financial circumstances are, we can all do something. Because these little shoes cost $3.60. So to send 10 pairs would be $36. 72 would send 20 pairs of shoes. And not only that, but the corrective surgery. We got to visit with um, a little one who had just was so Badly, Um, it went right all the way up the face and there was no joy in the eyes at all. They were just, they knew what their future would look like. And then our team was able to go back and film after that little one had had the surgery. And it was as if somebody reached inside and turned a light on. And really that's what we're doing. When we reach out in Jesus name, it's as if we're just reaching out and turning the light of Christ. And not only do we get to put shoes on their feet, but sometimes when you feed someone, or when somebody's thirsty and you give them clean water for the first time, or you put a little pair of shoes in their feet, somehow you've kind of won the right to sit in the sand with them for a while and talk about the one who has put a light on inside of each one of us? We've been able to share the life of Christ with so many of these families because of a simple gift of shoes. So, for any gift you send in at all, this is our new one this year. It's our little crystal shoe. I look forward to putting those up in my tree this year. Um, but we can all do something. So would you go to your phone? Would you maybe make a decision as a family of the best gift possible that you could give? And I think there's just something profound. Jesus said, when you gave clothes, you clothed me and, me. and they were like, Lord, when did we ever clothe you? And They said, whenever you did it, to the least of these, you did it for me. So please go to your phone, give the best gift possible, and make someone's Christmas the beginning of something really amazing.
0: Poverty is a killer, and because of it, children needlessly suffer, not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we often take for granted, like a simple pair of shoes. Far too many children living in extreme poverty have never owned a new pair of shoes, and while that may seem minor in the light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections and disease that could lead to crippling consequences and even death. By responding today, you can help immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world. And for many, just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes. A gift of $72 will help provide 20 pairs, And a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. As a thank you for your gift of support, be sure to request this beautifully crafted red crystal shoe ornament a treasure to display at each Christmas. With your gift of $100 or more, you may request the Light Shines in Darkness frosted glass candle featuring a beautiful golden design with scripture from John 1:5. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries. And you may request the Bridge of Faith canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. There you go, buddy. Look at that, brand new shoes. New shoes on
1: dirty feet, but you know what? Not all of you can come here and have the privilege that I have of actually putting the shoes on the feet of these beautiful children, but you can still be a big part, because really, you know, we can't do it without you. This is not just something fun for them. I mean, they love it. We're also improving their health. This is a significant outreach. These children are all smiling because we've given them new shoes, but there are others that need a little extra support to correct that cleft palate so they can have a smile too. I hope you'll make an additional gift today as we take the shoes and smiles to as many children as we can. Go to the phone, go online, do the best that you can, and you can give shoes and smiles to children
0: all over the world.
2: Thank you so much. If the phone's busy, write the number down and keep calling. Jeremiah, thank you so much for being with us. You know, for any gift you send at all today, I'd love to send you this book, Unanswered. There's also, as you see in your screen, a Bible study, and you'll also find out where Jeremiah is taking this Unanswered tour on the road. We hope that you and Audrey and your five little <laughs> gifts have the best Christmas possible. Thank you, Sheila, and thanks for having me on. I loved it, and we'll see you again next time on Wednesdays in the Word. Thanks for being with us. God bless you.
0: concerned about your family being ill-equipped to manage resources when you pass away? Do you want to leave a legacy gift that impacts the lives of others? As a free service to our friends and partners, Life Planning Services, a ministry of Life Outreach International, is here to help with your estate planning needs and chart your financial future. Do not put off this important step to protect your loved ones and leave a lasting legacy. Contact Life Planning Services today. If you're a dream of God before you took your first breath, shouldn't you live out the dream of God before you take your last breath? Erwin McManus, next week. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.